0: Hey, Tobes. Yes, Kath? We've been working on this show for, what, two years now? hmm Honestly, it has been the best job of my life. It's been so meaningful. And, like, you know, we all need, like, space to grow and, you know, got to reach the next milestone in our lives. And totally. it's important, totally. you know? hmm So I need to tell the audience, mm-hmm. our listeners, our dear listeners, that as of a month ago— I got a dog. You got a dog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> arr, 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 pew, 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 dog. <laughs> From WNYC Studios, you're listening to Nancy.
2: With your hosts, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Too. Mm-hmm.
0: Tobin, you know who's really great? Who, Kathy? Filmmaker Desiree Akavon.
1: Yes, Desiree.
0: She's behind movies like Appropriate Behavior and The Miseducation of Cameron Post.
1: She also wrote and produced Hulu's The Bisexual, which is a show about a lesbian in her early 30s who breaks up with her longtime girlfriend and moves in with platonic roommate Gabe.
0: Some might call him a hopelessly straight man. Yes.
1: And while all these changes are happening for Desiree's character Layla she starts to realize that she's attracted to women and men, which, you know, gets complicated.
2: Roll that clip. When I hear bisexual, I think lame slut. It's tacky, it's gauche, it makes you seem disingenuous, like your genitals have no allegiance, you know? Like you have no criteria for people, it's just an open door policy. It's not a nice thing to be, it's not a cool
0: thing to be, and it makes my fucking skin crawl. The word bisexual. Oh, yikes. <laughs> You've compared it to being uh, called a bedwetter. <laughs> what, why Why is the word sort of distasteful to you?
2: Uh, just for what it stood for. I mean, it's been synonymous with, like, Anne Haitian and Tila Tequila as our only spokesmodels. So mm-hmm. nobody wants that label. Is this something that you use um, for yourself? I do use the term bisexual. I think it's important for me to
1: reclaim it in some way. Was there a moment for you that that label started feeling right or that you chose to take on?
2: There was never a moment where I felt straight or gay. Mm. I always knew I was in between and that was the word I had. Yeah, I have fallen in love and been romantic with both men and women mm-hmm. and I'm pretty straight down the middle. I mean, I've had more relationships with women than men, but I mean, to me, gender is not the deciding outlier for romantic or sexual attraction.
0: So then with with your show, The Bisexual, and with how you feel about the word bisexual, was this like a way for you to reclaim the word for you? For sure. I mean, I think what motivates a project is something you
2: can't—that gets under your skin. And it was during Press for Appropriate Behavior, which is my first film, that I decided I wanted to make a TV show about a bisexual character. And during that time, I was constantly being introduced as a bisexual filmmaker. Mm. So it was, a, it was a label that I was reading of myself all the time and felt really uncomfortable to see myself publicly identified as, even though it was 100% true. And I wanted to get underneath the surface of, like, where is that discomfort living? Where is it coming from? And I think that would make for a really good comedy. So I thought Sex of the Man would be a complete departure from Sex as I Knew It, but it's actually... Very similar. Sex is sex. There are differences, though. Like his bo. He's got good bo. It reminds me of my dad's. Only it's sexy. I'm sorry. Am I making you uncomfortable? No, no, it's fine. Yeah, no. But he's your friend, and I, it's inappropriate to talk about it. Kind of say one thing, and then I promise to shut up. Please. Do you know what's really annoying? What? Semen. With women, there's no cleanup. But with guys, you're like, I gotta find a fucking home for this shit. Now, th-
1: this is maybe something that you should be sharing with a female friend. You're the only one who knows. In your career as a filmmaker, as someone who makes TV shows, you explore a lot of themes around sexuality and romance. Um, was there a movie or a piece of media for you that sort of informed your understanding or your early ideas of sex and romance? I believe Saved by the Bell was a big one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Family matters, the
2: Brady bunch. Mm-hmm. It was archaic and <laughs> uh heteronormative, it was mine. Mm. I learned everything I knew about sex and love and relationships and what it was to be American. My parents are immigrants from Iran. So I watched television constantly and they both worked, so I had like a good five hour chunk of time every day to fill. Oh
0: my God, same. And I
2: avoid work with yeah. television. <laughs> yep. So that's what I did. I, I watched a lot of television and it raised me in a lot of ways. I, I learned about sex. Like we didn't talk about those things at home. Mm-hmm. So I piecemealed together this idea of what romance was and what a relationship was from the movies and from television. And then when I was old enough or, uh, and by the way, not even old enough, I was a late bloomer. So once I was well into my 20s and uh, fell in love for the first time, I realized that I had been lied to. In what way? I definitely thought that if you fell in love with someone and you were, you know, pure of heart and like not an asshole and they loved you genuinely and were pure of heart, then you would be together forever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very yeah. Disney. It was yeah. It was very yeah. this idea of like happily ever after. I definitely thought with sex too. I didn't realize the communication and the ebbs and flows of sex. You just thought, yeah, you know, you just have that like simultaneous orgasm and it's, it's done, t- <laughs> like
0: <laughs> forever too. Yeah, just every day for the rest of your life.
2: Exactly. Uh, there just there's the messiness of life that film and television didn't reflect mm-hmm. growing up.
0: Do you think that? When you were coming out to your parents about being bi,
2: mm. was
0: that understood? Did they understand what you were talking about? No. <laughs> no.
2: I remember it was like, if you could choose, why would you choose to be gay? Like, if you have the choice, if there's men and women
0: on oh the God, plate, it's so similar. To why would you make that choice? Copies. And I
2: understand the. I really get the mentality. Yeah. Where it's like you're gonna choose the harder life. What kind of an idiot chooses being to be a second class citizen? That's the mentality, hmm. and I think it logically makes sense. But it's also not imagining a world where you can be the change you want to see,
1: hmm.
0: huh, and that yeah. is
2: the world I want to live in, where I am the change I want to see around me.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. My mom just clung on to the hope. <laughs> she was like, "Well, it could be this, so maybe yeah. choose that." Cross your fingers. Yeah, start, exactly. Like, introducing
2: you to some really <laughs> yeah great guys.
0: She she really likes the idea of um, if you can just hide it, then you should. Oh, yeah.
2: My mother's yearbook quote is one should live life like a duck, calm and serene on the surface, but paddling like hell underneath.
1: Oh, my
0: wow. God.
1: <laughs> um, if that isn't like a little capsule of the immigrant experience right there, that quote, <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't
0: it? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's, that's immigrant life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So within your family, like in my family, I feel like my role is I'm the one that has to fix things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think your role is in your in your family? I have to be brutally
2: honest and face the fact that I am the princess
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and that
2: I get my way. Like, or I'm the, the rock and roll badass. Like, I think <laughs> I was the rule breaker. My brother did everything by the book. He got really good grades. He's a surgeon. Um, he did everything my parents told him to, and he's— He's a really good son. I got tattoos. I remember when I got my first tattoo, my brother said, that's like basically a fuck you to the whole family, Desiree. I
1: was like, really?
2: (laughs) He was so upset. My brother was really disappointed in me. And then, um, you know, I came out. And when I came out, my brother was like, why do you have to tell mom and dad? Like, you could have just, like, had your private life be private. There are certain things you don't do. Just read the script and follow (laughs) accordingly. (laughs) But he's super supportive and, like, you know, everyone's come full circle. But um, he's always been really good. And I've always been in my, like, you know people pleaser immigrant daughter way, the rebel. So like it really is a sign of like where we come from that I am the rebel. Like Mm. late into life virgin who is completely like also went to grad school and spends all her time working and planning for a future where she lives with her parents (laughs) and she can afford a second home where they can stay. You know, I'm the rebel. Uh, But yeah, within the context of this Iranian family, I'm the
0: asshole and the fuck up. Tobin, what role did you play?
1: I'm also the youngest mm-hmm. in my family. Oh, gosh. Am I the princess?
0: Maybe I am. I think you, maybe. I'm
1: probably yeah. the princess. I think if you have to ask that question, you probably yes, are.
0: Yes, I know. <laughs> it's
2: true. <laughs> if you're not the fixer, yeah. you're, you're a princess.
0: Coming up, we talk to Desiree about how her family is her creative inspiration
1: and why queefing is the ultimate queer plot point. Nancy will be back in a minute.
0: So when you think about family now, like, it seems like your family's close. And as a queer person, you probably have, like, a chosen family as well. Like, what is your perception of family? When I think of family, I think of
2: love. And, like, where do you get your love? And as much much conflict you can have and a difference of lifestyle, um that I have with my family, I get so much unconditional love. And I feel like having come out really taught me the definition of unconditional love. Like when you do something that you specifically know hurts the people around you and they love you anyway, that you take actions they don't necessarily agree with, where you grow together and you know their love through hate. Like where they're like, you're pissing me off. I do not like you, but I love you. Mm-hmm. That is something I feel from my family.
1: So... Uh, in the bisexual, there's this character Gabe, and he describes himself as an ally, and yet there's also certain aspects of your character. I don't think character. he's smart
2: enough to know the word ally, by the way. <laughs> I just don't like think he somebody says that who's cool, you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> he's down.
1: Yeah, he likes to say like he's down, but there's also things about your character that make him uncomfortable. Oh, for sure, um, armpit and, hair. Yeah, exactly. That was entire, entirely
2: based on my brother, yeah. Right.
1: So you've said before, like, that Gabe is sort of a proxy a little yeah. bit for your relationship with your brother. Um, And I'm curious, like, in what ways? So there's the armpit hair. There's- oh,
2: God. My brother was so funny. He was so much more upset about that hair than my nudity. He was like, fine, you have to be naked for your stupid artistic reasons. I'll accept that. But why the armpit hair? That was disgusting. And I was like, I literally did that to upset you because I knew— That it was something that would horrify him. I don't even, I mean, I find it very attractive. Women do have armpit hair. I don't. I find it irritating. Yeah. Uh, But I grew it out just to bother my brother.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that is a long game. I know. That is a
1: long troll.
2: It's a long troll. Well, I thought it was, it led to a sequence or, or like scenes, you know, where it was like what would really alienate him and what would be something that wouldn't fly in the straight world and armpit hair was one of those things. What was, was your question, like, what uh, other things would my brother inspire? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the discomfort in queer spaces, but, like, that juxtaposed to the genuine desire to be a good friend. Like, we're incredibly close, but we also are quite hard on each other mm-hmm. and um, droll, and that, That's what it was, that kind of intimacy you share with somebody who is uncomfortable with intimacy.
0: How does he like the show? How does he like the show? I think he really likes it.
2: Yeah? Despite the armpit hair. I think he would say, (laughs) if I lost the armpit hair, he'd think it would be perfect. I think— of the things I've made the show probably speaks to him really well and he has said that he finds Gabe to be an incredibly agreeable character (laughs) he
0: called me up and he was like that Gabe
2: so funny
0: I really see where he's coming from (laughs) And you're like, I designed it that way.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's funny because on the internet, everyone's like, who is this straight guy? He sucks. I hate Gabe. And my brother calls me up and he's like, he's the real star of the show.
1: Is the Gabe character. Yeah. More of that Gabe. Yeah. Spinoff.
2: <laughs> but I will say Gabe was also inspired by a few other men in my life and in my writing partner's life. My brother definitely does not sleep with the younger women or have like the same – achilles heel for a pretty girl Mm. we there's another man in our life who does (laughs) Gotcha. we thought that like exploring a a woman trying to find her pleasure sexually alongside a straight man who's kind of trapped by the the framework of modern masculinity was Mm. interesting to us that i think he's a victim of what he thinks he's supposed to be attracted to and what he thinks um he's supposed to be as a
1: man Yeah. What you're describing, it makes me think of the scene where there's sort of like side-by-side sex scenes. Yeah. Where (laughs) what happens to him— The queefing sequence. The queefing sequence, exactly. Can we we name
2: it for what it is (laughs) right now? Because I'm so proud that I brought queefing to the screen, and I wish there was more dialogue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's interesting because you have it happen where the straight guy with his partner— a queef happens and it immediately <laughs> kills the mood. Like, they don't know how to deal yeah. with it. But with the the queer couple, it happens and there's a lightness and there's yeah, an ability yeah, yeah. to, you know, sort of roll with the punches and be like, for bodies sure, happen. For sure. Like, was there a conversation around that of, like, we're sort of also trying to make a point about queer people and sex and intimacy and maybe, yeah, like, what, what we're allowed to explore?
2: Well, I think that's, as you guys know, the beauty of queerness and Making up the rules as you go. I I love the uh, build-your-own-adventure style of gay <laughs> sex, and I think we all know that really intimately, and that's a decidedly queer experience. Mm. More, I mean, I think the kink community has this as well,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which I find really fascinating. But I do think that there's a one-size-fits-all style to some straight sex and specifically the kind of straight sex that Gabe would have. Mm. And that was interesting to me to juxtapose in the show what is the lifestyle that he's having with a woman versus uh, what the queer character is doing. <laughs>
1: um, do you feel—I'm going to preface this by saying this is a little bit of a basic question, but do you feel limited by being a queer person making queer stories? In terms of, like, what opportunities you get and people backing your work?
2: Uh, yes and no. Hmm. I feel like I don't exclusively plan to tell queer stories. I have happened to tell them because when you find something original and fresh and urgent, lately it's been queer. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be that way forever for me. So in some ways, no, because I'm like, these are the coolest stories that are a choose your own adventure and go anywhere. And I'm excited by it telling untold stories. And on the other, I think what I'm limited by is uh, the way that the public consumes these stories. I think people want comfort. Mm-hmm. People, people want mac and cheese. And that's okay. But that's where the mainstream is right now. And I think when you tell stories that challenge that, I think when you try to change the narrative, be it queer, be it whatever, people get uncomfortable and, and don't want to learn a new narrative. And I think those hallmark Christmas films are probably also, like, the best-selling products right now in terms of
0: the movie industry. I would love to watch a Hallmark movie starring a bisexual person. Two bisexual people interacting with each other. There's there's a male and a female suitor.
2: Ah. Oh, my God. I mean, I can't imagine a bisexual st- mainstream film just because I think bisexual characters are painted as uh, untrustworthy mm. in so many other narratives. and. We're starting to wrap our brain around what it is to be gay, and then it's like, oh, it's just like me, but opposite. But I think it'd be really hard for people to, I mean, they will eventually, but it requires people publicly being bisexual mm. and destigmatizing it mm-hmm. in the mainstream.
1: That's bisexual filmmaker Desiree Akavan, leading by example.
0: Credits. Producer. Zakia Gibbons.
1: Production Fellow.
0: Temi Fagbenle. Editor. Stephanie Joyce.
1: Sound Designer.
0: Jeremy Bloom.
1: Executive Producer.
0: Paula Schumann. I'm Tobin Lowe. I'm Kathy Tu.
1: And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. Say these three words, rise up lights.
2: Rise up lights.
1: You just said razor blades with an Australian accent.
2: Rise up lights. Oh my God. (laughs)